Welcome to Beyond the Minimum, where we'll be exploring the world of work. We'll be chatting about concepts, ideas, and phrases, explore practices, and delve into what good looks like. Work can be purposeful, value-led, and more meaningful to all who interact with the workplace. This podcast is brought to you by Tanya Hewitt, who lives in unceded Algonquin Anishabe territory, otherwise known as Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. This episode has been a very long time in coming, but I'm so excited to share with you this content because when healthy employers agree to share some of their practices with the community, we can start to learn how incredibly well-run companies can be. So today, we're going to be talking with Mike Zellick, who works for a trucking company. That's right, a trucking company. Trucking companies went through highs and lows at the beginning of the pandemic. There were all sorts of thank a trucker posters and accolades everywhere. However, that was very short-lived. And right now, we seem to be in a desperate need for trucks and truck drivers in order to be able to move supplies to their destinations. And a lot of companies are out there scrambling for drivers. We're going to listen to Mike Zellick talk about how his company doesn't have such a problem amongst a whole lot of other practices that they utilize in order to keep their company healthy. Today's episode is what good looks like. So thank you so much, Mike, for agreeing to come on to the uh, Beyond the Minimum podcast, this type of episode of what good looks like, because I believe our audience would be able to learn so much from a lot of what you have to share. So Mike, why don't we start off with you Um, introducing yourself and uh, where you work and what role you have. Cool. So my name is Mike Zellick. I work for a company called Wellington Group of Companies. Uh, We've got, you know, several different smaller companies that that make that up. Uh, Almost all of them transportation related. And I'm the director of human resources. So I've got a major hand in the recruiting and retention of truck drivers, as well as our office staff and the, the human resources fund that comes along with it. Um, but for the purpose of today, I mean, my main focus is going to be on recruiting and retaining drivers and kind of sharing what, what's worked for us so far. Wonderful. So, Mike, last week we set up a call to basically go over this recording. And you were en route to uh, someplace regarding your workplace. So would you mind just walking us through that whole adventure that you had last week? Yeah, absolutely. When uh, when we talked uh, somewhere along the 401 on the way with a, a co-worker up to Bedford, Quebec, where we've got a fleet of somewhere between 25 and 30 drivers. And the point of the trip up there was to meet a lot of the drivers that we haven't had the chance to meet yet, to bring them their gifts from Driver Appreciation Month, which is what we did throughout the month of August, and to kind of give ourselves a chance to just to get to know the drivers better, where we went out for a couple of different dinners with them and their partners and visited a few different sites out there and just 
a real nice trip where we had the chance to actually shake some hands and share some laughs with a lot of the drivers that we've only communicated with the, uh, you know, phone calls, texts, and emails up till then. That sounds fantastic. So you said that you are the head of HR. That's right. You displaced yourself to go out to the workplace where this set of drivers were whom you hadn't met before. Yeah, most of them I, I hadn't met unless, you know, their route had brought them out toward Ontario. And I was joined with our recruiting and retention manager, a woman named Jessica Mata, as well as the head of our marketing department, a woman named Rachel. And we had a, a great time out there. I mean, to to some people, you know, driving six hours on a Friday to spend a weekend in, in Bedford, Quebec with, um, you know, a lot of coworkers isn't your ideal weekend, but we had a lot of fun and, you know, all the drivers were very happy to see us and put a, a face to the name and, and vice versa. And, you know, it's, it's something that we plan on doing on, on a quarterly basis now that, you know, there's less concerns about uh, COVID and travel restrictions and stuff like that. Wonderful. You had mentioned that you had a driver appreciation month and that you were giving out awards. Could you walk us through a little bit about that whole concept? Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing that I've, I've kind of noticed, I've been working in transportation over 10 years now, and most of that was asset-based companies. When it comes to driver appreciation, you know, there's often a barbecue at noon on a, on a Wednesday that most of the drivers are out on the road for, and it's more so for the dispatchers. And then, you know, when the drivers get back from their trip, there's a few cold patties left on the, on the grill. Not an ideal way to you know, show your appreciation to the to the drivers that are out there working hard. So we change things around a little bit where for the month of August, every weekday, we have a, a different promotion for our drivers. That's something that's applicable to almost everyone in our fleet where, you know, one day we might do a, you know, trucker bingo where take a picture of you fueling your truck and let us know if you see a truck that's red or that's missing a mud flapper whatever it is. Other days we're giving away gift cards or we're doing trivia contests. Um, we had one where we gave the drivers a list of four different charities to choose from. And we said, let us know where we want or where you want us to donate $20 to. And one of them was truckers against trafficking. I think one of them was sick kids hospital. One of them was colorectal cancer Canada. And I can't remember the fourth one. I think it might've even just been other where, you know, the, the drivers could fill in a place that that means a lot to them. And yeah, we, we did this every weekday in, in August. We had quite a lot of stuff that we, we gave away, nice Yeti mugs, uh, Wellington hoodies, hats, stickers, air fresheners, all that sort of stuff, and relevant gift cards where, again, instead of having a barbecue that, that no one can attend, here's a gift card for Tim Hortons or for Subway or you know somewhere that you can grab lunch when it's convenient for you. So it's very focused on the recipient as opposed to what is convenient for you to be able to, to do. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, uh, our recruitment team, retention team and marketing team put in a lot of hours just to make sure, you know, we do have the right sizes for people. Um, everyone's got a, a nice Wellington bag filled with all their stuff. And again, throughout the month, there is extra promotion. So if someone won our photography contest, they're going to have an extra gift card in their bag and they're all properly labeled and, in a perfect world, we can we can all give them out in person. I know um, Jessica from our team was out at some of our offices in Strathroy and Ingersoll to see the drivers that are based out that way. And 
I don't know. It is really nice, especially with everything that's gone on the last two and a half years, to to have more of a, a human connection. And words are nice, but it's 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 nice to see the the facial expression to to recognize that the appreciation is sincere. It's not something that you really want to fake. Excellent. Can you walk me through how you hire people? Yeah, I mean, one thing, or the first thing that I do is I really try and understand the run that we're hiring for. Uh, I've noticed, you know, in my career, there's been several instances where I pass on all the information that I know about a run, but it turns out it's not as accurate as it could be. And then, you know, the driver feels like they've been misled and it just gets them started on, on the wrong foot. So the first part is to talk to the planner, talk to someone that's already doing that run and make sure what you believe to be true is true, whether it's, you know, time away from home or shift time start, uh, even the, the equipment you drive. It's just, it's good to know it inside out. Like any good recruiter has to be honest and, and truthful, but if you're being given the wrong information, sometimes it makes you look bad and it's very tough to recover from that. Um, so step one is to understand the run then we do a, a very detailed job posting where, uh, again, I've noticed in the past and with recruiting friends I, that I have, you know, they might just post a position as a truck driver. And to me, that's comparable to just hiring an office staff member, you know, not narrowing it down to accounting or customer service or dispatch, simply staff member. And, you know, you're going to get 100 applicants, but if you're looking for something specific, that's not really good. So for drivers, when we get real specific, Maybe we'll only have 10 or 12 people that apply, but those 10 or 12 people for the most part are going to be very interested in the role because they understand it. It works with their schedule or um, their salary expectations or, or whatever it may be. I got a friend, Scott Ray, who refers, refers to it as fishing with a spear instead of a net. And, you know, you get exactly what you're looking for versus going through 100 applicants and trying to shuffle through all the riffraff that comes in. I remember at one point I heard you talking about the the run that you were talking about before. So that's the specific route that the driver drives, I guess, to deliver the load that needs to be delivered. And yeah. I remember you talking about actually accompanying a driver on a route. Would you be able to describe why you did that? Yeah, we, we do that fairly often where depending on the run, sometimes it'll just be one of our new drivers going out with one of our existing drivers, even though they're, they're both experienced. It's just nice to see how you do it at a different company. Uh, but we've got one customer in particular where it's not simply driving a truck five, 600 miles a day. It's doing 10 different stops in small towns in Northern Ontario and uh, a little bit of driver assist involved. So I like to go out on the road with these drivers for the first trip, just so that they, they have some support can, I've never driven commercially in my life, but I've been on probably 10 of these trips by now. And it's nice to have someone there to help you. And even just having a helper in the front seat where I can help navigate or I can call these stores ahead. When you get to these places, it's nice to have someone track down the person in the forklift who's going to offload you, someone else to help with the paperwork. It's, I mean, it's almost like you're holding their hand for the first run or two just to make sure that they know what they're in for and that they're comfortable with it. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. You can have 20 years of driving experience, but when you're going to all these customers for the first time, you're in the same boat as someone that might be new to the industry. So I find it very helpful to be in the truck with the driver. And the beauty of it is even when you're not at a delivery and you're just driving an hour between stops, 
you have a chance to get to know the driver a little bit better. You can ask about their family. You can just ask about whether you're talking about sports or life or future uh, past career. Sorry. You really develop a bond with the driver and kind of develop a trust as well, where now they feel comfortable coming to you with any issues instead of complaining about their problems to another recruiter. They come directly to me and we can fix the problem or talk about it. Or in the event that it's not a fit, you can notice that a little bit earlier on than if someone tries to just stick with it for the sake of sticking with it, but you can tell they're not a long-term fit. Uh, That's incredible. Again, I'd just like to remind our listeners, we're talking to the head of HR here who says that he helps drivers with paperwork en route. That's incredible. You've touched a little bit of it there, but I'd like to go into what a good day looks like in your world and what a not-so-good day looks like in your world and and how you deal with both of these extremes. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say a, a good day is when my, my phone doesn't ring too much. <laughs> it's oftentimes when it rings, it, it means someone needs help with something or they're having an issue. I mean, the, the beauty of transportation is that every day is different, and that's kind of what attracted me to the, the industry in the first place. Uh, but to, to be more direct to your question, a good day is when I, I get good feedback from our drivers when everything goes according to plan, which isn't often the case in transportation, but you know, as long as it doesn't get too off kilter and I'll spend probably two hours of my day talking or emailing or, or texting with our drivers, whether it's just about their run or they have a question about their benefits or time off or whatever it may be. And then, you know, a good portion of my day spent recruiting drivers and a good day is when I do find those good people again, fishing with a, a spear where, you know, I talk to the driver and they say, yeah, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And the very, what's a good word for that? The, the drivers that are serious about uh, a position, they ask the right questions. They're always ready with their paperwork. And that just leads to a, an easier hiring process. And I'm, I'm pretty fortunate where I have a lot of good days. There's really not too many bad ones in, in recent memory. Like I think it's normal to have a bad day every month or so. And I don't even think I'm at that frequency. It's right about once a quarter where you're like, oh, you know, this is a tough day, but it makes you think more about the, the good ones. So tough days are when the unexpected happens or, you know, you, you send a driver to pick up a trailer and they, they drive two hours across town and then they find out it's still loaded. You're like, oh, crap. Like that's, that's not good. The driver's upset. The, the dispatcher's usually not happy. And somewhere along the line, there's a miscommunication or something went wrong where we just ended up wasting a couple hours of of someone's time. There's some, I try to tell this to our drivers or office staff where there's just so many unknowns in transportation. Every once in a while, something's going to screw up, whether it's bad weather, traffic, construction, could be the most important shipment in the world and you can do everything right and still be late for it. If you know, you, if the 401 becomes a parking lot. So those days can get a little frustrating, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of expected. It's just how you deal with it and how you communicate it with, with the driver and with the rest of the staff. And how do you communicate when those unknown factors impact your work? Yeah, we just try and share as much information that we can with the driver. Like a, a good example is when there's a delay getting an entry number to cross the border. Sometimes if the, the driver's just waiting at the border, they have nothing to do but sit there and wait and and worry. So every 45 minutes, every hour, it's nice to check in to say, hey, we're working on it. We we called them. This is what they said. Try and give them a a bit of a timeline so that if they do want to lie down and have a a sleep for an hour or two, they they have that freedom. 
If it seems like it's going to be a, a major issue, we can kind of prepare them for that, which, you know, doesn't make them happy, but at least what they're to expect for that. And it's got to be all truthful. If you try and pull a fast one on a driver and withhold the truth or purposely misrepresent yourself, it's just going to make the situation worse. So yeah, you got to be an open book with them. And again, sometimes they'll, they'll be upset as anyone is when you're kind of wasting time somewhere. But if you present them with all the information and, and treat them with respect, that's making the best out of a bad situation. You had talked about feedback being part of your day. What does that look like? And how do you make sure that you nurture that whole feedback loop, I guess? Yeah, in my opinion, the feedback from the drivers is some of the best feedback you'll ever get because they're the ones that are out on the road, you know, moving around 80,000 pounds worth of equipment in all sorts of weather conditions, all sorts of traffic conditions. So uh, a driver calls in and says, the roads aren't very good right now in Chicago you know, who am I from my comfortable desk to say, no, I'm sure they're fine. Keep driving. You know, you, you got to take the driver's word for it. They're the pros out there. They, they want to get to their deliveries or their pickups, but they've got to be safe and trust their instinct and trust what we teach them in, you know, winter driver training or in orientation. Sorry, I kind of lost where I was going with that. What, what was the question again there? Well, I just wanted to know how you nurtured uh, this feedback oh, because there's exactly. a huge message out there that um, a lot of people are too afraid to raise issues and there's you know there are a plethora of companies trying to help organizations with the fear and with the lack of psychological safety and all of this stuff but you just kind of talked about it as a natural thing so I'd like to know how you cultivated this. Yeah, I I think one thing that we do very well is we create an environment where drivers feel comfortable giving feedback. Oftentimes, it's just in a a very casual setting where I'll get a text and say, you know, hey, Mike, what do you think about this? Or can you run this by our equipment person? Just, you know, whether it's about an engine or a different type of tire, whatever it may be, the drivers feel like they can come to me or Jessica or someone else at the company and actions will be taken to try and correct whatever they're complaining about, or we'll listen to their suggestions. And it's not a 100% success rate where if a driver wants something, they get it. Sometimes we just have to explain to them why it is that way. And, you know, they can adapt to it or maybe try a different run if they don't like it. But the fact that they come to us with this feedback and we at least prove to them that we looked into it, makes them feel more valued and part of the team. And they're probably the most valuable part of the team. So it's, it's good that they feel like that. I think that's just wonderful. And a lot of companies, even in trucking, I think, have this distinction between, you know, no, no, this is work and keep your personal out of this. What do you think of that kind of approach? These days, I feel like work and personal life has, has become blended and I view that as as a good thing. I mean, you could go either way on that, but you know, I love that we had a, a driver here on Thursday and they're they're going out to the Blue Jay game. I gotta meet his kids that I've heard lots about and you know, at different events that we have, I meet the driver's partners and it's I think it's awesome where I'm on a, a first name basis with most of them, at least the ones that I've met before. Part of our, our driver appreciation, we actually had a suggestion from one of the the driver's wives where you know she wanted a wellington hat i'm like you know what we should make one part of driver appreciation day all about their family where 
you know, we'll give our drivers an option to choose a gift for a family member, whether it's, you know, a, a hat for their partner, a, a shirt for one of their kids, or a little onesie for a, a baby they get on the way. And that was met with overwhelming positivity from the, the ownership group at, at Wellington here, because the families are a big part of a, a trucker's lives, obviously personally, but on the professional side as well, where long days away from home, sometimes you're out in the truck for two, three, well, anywhere up to 10 nights. You really have to respect the person. Well, you have to respect their, their personal life. And, you know, we have some drivers who don't want there to be much of a blend and, and that's okay as well, where, you know, they just come in, they put in, you know, an honest day or honest week's work and go home and they can shut off their phone and not really worry about trucks or transportation where there's others that, you know, want to stay involved. And those are usually the ones that are at more company events and, you know, volunteering at the Santa Claus parade, stuff like that. It sounds almost too good to be true, but I know that there's likely some vestiges of us, them type cultures in even healthy organizations. Could you describe like a, a, a classic one in the trucking industry is dispatchers and drivers. And another one, well, I mean, your, your head of HR would be the, the C-suite of all of the heads of different parts of companies. Would you be able to describe a little bit of the, the us-them culture that you have? Yeah, there's definitely a, an us-versus-them culture throughout the industry. And Wellington's not any different than that, where lots of drivers and they have a, a longer day then it's because they're their dispatchers out to get them or they're punishing them for something and you know the divide here i don't think is is very vast at all especially compared to some other companies that i'm i'm aware of but it, it still does exist and you know we we've kind of well we don't really tolerate the you know just a driver syndrome that a, a lot of people have when they're they're working in the office uh, you know, we respect our drivers, we respect their time, we respect their opinions. So that helps limit the divide. But it's probably always going to exist where the people that are out on the road with their AZ license in all sorts of conditions, people in the office just aren't going to completely get that. And as driver centric as I like to think I am, I don't truly get it. I've never driven a, a truck in my life. I can be a passenger a million times. I'm still not going to know what it's like to be in control of 80,000 pounds going down a highway at 105 kilometers per hour. So the main thing with the, with the us them divide is it's not the worst thing in the world. You just have to recognize it and put trust that the driver has to trust that the, their dispatchers got their best interests in mind and, and vice versa. And, you know, a, a dispatcher has got the delicate job of trying to balance the customer's needs and expectations versus the driver's and, in most instances, and I don't think it's a bad thing, the dispatcher is going to have the, the customer's needs first followed quickly by the driver, um, where someone more in my role or um, anyone in a recruiting retention role, you're more worried about the driver probably than the customer, at least in the short term when it comes to little issues like a driver has been sitting at a, a location for a long time your main focus is on the driver, not so much what the customer is going to have to pay for waiting time or why the waiting's there. You just want to get that driver out of there, back on the road as quick as possible. Does it happen that either, well, senior executives might be difficult, but um, you know, dispatchers or drivers do need to undergo um, some type of discipline? Sorry, can you say it again, please? I was just wondering, do 
dispatchers or drivers, maybe even senior executives, do any of them need to be pulled aside in order to go through some of the behaviors that they've expressed and uh, be told that maybe there's a different way to approach this or, or any kind of discipline that has to take place? Whether it's discipline or just supplemental training, like uh, I'd say training and, and coaching would, for the most part, be the better option. I mean, there's some drivers where you have to, well, some drivers and some office staff where you have to say, you know, like that's not an acceptable way to to talk to someone or to communicate with someone. And, you know, if it's an ongoing thing, then it, it needs to be addressed with some sort of disciplinary action. Um, a lot of the time, like people just communicate in, in, in different ways where, I read a story somewhere where, you know, nine out of 10 reviews for a company were fantastic, 10 out of 10, because they loved that, you know, when they went from Ontario to California, they never heard from their dispatcher, where the 10th person's like, oh, I hate it because I never hear from my dispatcher. So then you're just like playing to each person's preference. And, you know, the one driver, Terry, just wants to drive and don't bother him. They'll be on time. And that's great. Where you might have another driver where you have to hold their hand for a little bit and you know, I've got a few drivers on the fleet where sometimes they just like to call the chat. And it's like, cool, if I've got time to spare or I, with this one particular driver, I've kind of uh, just set it up. So when I'm driving to or from work, that'll be my time to kind of idly chit chat. And then when I'm in the office, it's just more call me if it's something important, but, you know, not just shooting the breeze. So uh, I just wanted to to offer that I heard on a on a different podcast, uh, the dangers of trusting surveys. This one survey had said that everybody was was fine after this intervention. So of course, senior management thought the intervention worked. But all of the people who answered the survey when they were asked why they rated it so high as opposed to previously said, uh, we just don't want to have those monthly talks anymore. So if scoring this survey high is going to stop those monthly talks, then we're, we'll score it high. <laughs> so yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily that the, the survey is revealing what you think it is. You had, you have an approach that I think might be outside the norm of a whole lot of people in your position. I'm wondering how, uh, dealing with your colleagues at, uh, you know, an executive table, how that, how that dynamic plays out. Yeah, we're very fortunate where the leaders of our company are are also very driver-centric and like to support a lot of the initiatives that our recruiting and retention department comes up with. I mean, it's not always perfectly in sync where they're more concerned about the financials and how the operation is running. But unless your executives at your company are on board with treating the drivers well, paying them well, and, and listening to them. The message is going to get lost along the way by the time it gets to dispatch. It, you really need everyone to, to buy in. But that's anywhere from you know the, the highest person up at the company to anywhere, anywhere else within it. You can't have any weak links. As soon as you have one person that's treating them as just a driver, it gets infectious. It'll, it'll spread amongst other people. It'll, other drivers in the fleet will pick up on it and it doesn't take long for you know you to be considered uh, supposed to go from being a driver friendly company to just you know an average company. And unfortunately, the average companies out there are the ones that struggle with driver recruiting and retention, and you know their their reputation is a reflection of that. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm just wondering on that whole retention thing, how do people, how does your company treat people leaving your company? Uh, I mean, it doesn't happen too, too often. Like our driver retention rate since we started for voluntary resignations has always been in the 90s, pretty much always been in the in the high 90s, where I think right now it's about 97% retention. When we do lose a driver, we do an exit interview to see why they're leaving, where they're going to. Honestly, I can't remember the last time we had someone leave, at least leave unexpectedly. There's one driver I think of that, uh, that left in the last six months. But other than that, it's not a, a regular practice like, we are prepared for it. We have had uh, a couple of drivers that have left and then come back, but really there's not, there's not a whole lot uh, of experience that we have with it. We've been very fortunate in that regard. So Mike, we've talked a lot about, you know, how you interact directly with the drivers, how you appreciate them, how you know who they are outside of just their role as a driver, including the dispatchers as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to share to help understand why the culture is so healthy where you work? I think it's a, a mutual respect. It sounds so simple and it almost feels silly saying it where it's, it's just common sense, like treat someone how, how you want to be treated. You know, our, our drivers, they, they realize it's a, a give and take where they're going to have some shorter days, some longer days. You know, there's going to be a couple of days a year where everything goes wrong and that's that's okay. Like that's, that's part of the industry. But really like the, the secret to a strong fleet with, with good retention numbers is you need to value the driver's time. You have to re- respect the driver's time. And a lot of people don't do that. They just, they'll look at a uh, hours of service log and think that driver's got three hours of, of work to still do. And they'll, they'll work them for that three hours. Even if that driver's got plans after work where respecting the, the home life balance Sure, these drivers, they, they drive because they love doing it, but it doesn't mean they want to do it every hour of every day. They they work so they can go home to their families and, and spend some time with their, their feet up. Um, so valuing their time is big. Respecting their opinion is, is big, where, again, drivers are out there every day on the roads. They're the ones that are going to different shippers and receivers, so they'll have the best feedback on those places than anyone else. And... Uh, it's got to be a fair and consistent wage. I, I see it almost every company out there when people are getting paid by the mile or in some instances by the hour, the onus is on the driver to make money, even though they're not in control of how many miles they can get or how many hours they can work. And I think that's, that's got to change in most instances. If, if you're trying to have a successful fleet, it's got to be a, a consistent pay. And, you know, if, if your company doesn't have work for a driver, that's not the driver's fault. That's the company's fault. So why is the driver getting punished for that? That's wonderful, Mike. So just to wrap up, is there anything else I haven't asked you but should have? And is there any way that people could contact you if they wanted to learn more about how you work in this really healthy environment? Yeah, I'd love for uh, anyone that wants to chat transportation to reach out to me either via email or I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. And uh, the only topic that we, we didn't touch on a whole lot is driver rate sheets where, um, you know, I think companies really need to simplify it. It's, you know, a, a high per mile or per hour rate looks good on paper, but 
at the end of the year, all you care about is your T4 and, and how much you make there. So, you know, my advice for companies is find out what drivers are earning per year and have that your basis. Because whether you're making 45 cents or 65 cents per mile, it's a loaded question where if you're only doing 300 miles or 600 miles or whatever the parameters are, the money that someone makes at the end of the year is the, the most important number. Sounds wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so very much, Mike. And um, uh, and I can't thank you enough for sharing a lot of what you have with us to have people realize it's not as though, you know, workplace misery has to be endured. No, you just got to communicate with, well, in any position that you're in, if you communicate with your, your coworkers, what, what you like, what you dislike, they can either work on changing it or you can work on making a change in your own life and open two-way communications, uh, the way to have those conversations. Fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. So what did you think? I thought that was just amazing. There were so many fantastic tidbits he shared with us. Everything from meeting new recruits to their very meaningful driver appreciation program. That does take some effort, but it, the payoff is so appreciated to the way that they are super specific in the way that they write up their job advertisements, having time to spend with frontline workers, where trust can be established, having a lot more good days than bad ones is the result from this. Just the natural feedback that they've been able to cultivate, everything, including how humble he is. He said a number of times that, you know, I'm not a driver and I can't imagine what it is to be a driver, even though he's way closer to that industry than a whole lot of us are. But he's aware of the difficulties in the role that he doesn't possess the knowledge of firsthand. Their customization and listening and emphasis on communication, just incredible. And he talked a bit about compensation there. As you heard during the interview, he works for Wellington Motor Freight. And I was at a conference where that amongst a few, few companies were shouted out by one of the keynote speakers as being one of the fairer compensation modeled companies. So instead of, as you had heard Mike talk about, focusing on uh, rate per kilometer or how many kilometers driven or all this kind of thing, there is just an appreciation of the driver and the frustrations that the driver might have and compensating them fairly not punishing them for being in a traffic jam or if the weather starts to turn inclement. That's not something that the driver has control over. And this company doesn't punish the drivers for things that are outside of their control. And that's just amazing. So I really hope you enjoyed this presentation. I'm really thankful to Mike for having shared it with us, and I hope that it gave you some tidbits on how you might be able to change some of the practices in your organizations. I thank you for listening. 
I don't know if this is your first episode or if you were a regular listener having really appreciated some of this content. I just wanted to tell you that I really do appreciate you for listening. If you would like to express your gratitude for this podcast, I would encourage you to buy me a coffee. Head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash Tanya H. That's buy, B-U-Y, me, M-E-A, coffee, C-O-F-F-E-E, all one word, dot com slash T-A-N-Y-A-H, Tanya H. I will put this in the show notes and I would really sincerely appreciate your support. In addition to that, you can rate and review this podcast, and I really, really appreciate that you are here listening to what I am sending out to you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Minimum with Tanya Hewitt. We hope this episode aligned with you. Maybe it was diametrically opposed to you, but at any rate, we trust it made you think. The more we can think about our workplaces and start talking about them, the more we can collectively make a real difference. If you're living in Canada, please find out the Indigenous territory in which you reside and begin using it to introduce yourself. Please reach out to Tanya through her email, tanya at beyondsafetycompliance.ca. Connect and chat with her on LinkedIn. Follow her company, Beyond Safety Compliance. And remember to ask yourself the question, how does your work look? Because we can always go beyond the minimum.